Dawn is, as, as she mentioned, she is the children's ministry champion. And guess what I did this morning, first thing in? I insulted her like three times before the first service. Is that high quality? Or, yeah, her sister. Woo. Yeah, I, I get one supporter on that, right? The rest of you are, no, no, we want her back there taking care of our kids. We love that. Please don't give her grief. So yeah, I, I'm still working on that brilliant thing up here, um, engaging the thing that God has given me between my ears. So, uh, so I'm continuing to work on that. Uh, the other thing this morning, as I, as, I, as I have fun just picking on myself, having picked on Dawn, um, I want to say that, uh, thank you to Lane. Uh, Lane has been here before, but uh, he was here last week on drums, and I think he had filled in even before that. But Lane has been one of our, um, he was one of our pastoral interns the past year down, at, uh, down, with, down with Bridgewater. And uh, we are so thankful for him coming up this morning and, uh, and leading us, leading us together and singing praise and worship to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah, big thank you to him. Thank you so much. Thank you for that. Um, we are, we, so, so we are in this series that is called The Good Work, and we're thankful for all the different people that are part of The Good Work. As I, as I pick on Dawn, right, uh, thankful for Lane, thankful for those that lead back here in the back with even our soundboard keeping us on track so that I know what I'm supposed to say every once in a while. They, they bring me back on page here with, oh, this is what we're talking, oh, The Good Work, that's right. Um, anyway... Um, we are so thankful for the different people that we have that help in ministry. And we are thankful to each one of you because each one of you, you have a part in the ministry. You have a part in the good work. Why? Because we believe that changing the world is what Jesus died for. And I want to say thank you to each one of you. Uh, many of you have been very kind to me over the last few months of me filling, of me filling in here. So I am so thankful for your, for your kindness there. Uh, this, this series that we are in, The Good Work, it's about a three, uh, excuse me, it's got a couple more weeks to go. Pastor Jeff is going to be finishing those up. I'm going to be away for a handful of weeks here. But, but I want you to know that I, I love being here and I look forward to being back here in a few, in a few weeks as well, or sometime next month as well as, as Jeff and I work through the schedule with that. So uh, th thank you to each one of you. We are so thankful for the ministry, that the, the part you have in the ministry here at Bridgewater. So, the good work, as we get into this, this morning we are going to talk about this idea of teamwork. And one of the things about teamwork, actually I, I need to back up one. Remember how I just said that they keep me on task? Let me, let me show you, we're, we're talking about this idea of teamwork, but we're talking about Nehemiah and leadership, and we want each one of you to grab a vision. The whole idea of this uh, Nehemiah passage is grabbing a vision. Why? Because Nehemiah grabbed a vision to finish building, to go back and repair the wall in Jerusalem. All right, Nehemiah had been carried off, uh, excuse me, he had not been, but his, his previous family had been carried off into captivity into Babylon. They're now sitting under, under the Persian Empire, and Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king, and he had this desire to go back. He had heard bad reports about how Jerusalem was in repair, disrepair, and he had had a desire to go back and to repair the walls in Jerusalem. And he got the okay from the king, not only the okay, but the support. And one of the things that we have is we have a list right here. Pastor Bob put a list together of different things. What, what, what makes you curious or what breaks your heart? What's something that you grab a vision for? What's something that you grab a desire for? And right here is just a list that, that he put together of a number of different things that, can, that might stir thoughts in your mind, in, in your heart. What is it that puts a passion within you? Remember week one and week two, I've mentioned world vision. And I mention that just because of the way that that was born, the way that that started, just by a gentleman giving $5 to a mother in China and seeing the difference that that made in her and her child's life, just that little bit of a gift, and then it explodes into something that if you've ever been at a Christian conference, excuse me, at a Christian concert, 
World Vision is there, all right? And they're presenting, asking more and more people to sign up. Will you support? Will you sponsor a child? Will you take out this under your wing and help provide food for children all around the world that go hungry? And that's something that just stirred a vision within him, stirred a desire within him. I don't know what the desire may be that you may have in your heart, in your life, but if there's something there that the Holy Spirit is just keep pushing you about, pushing you about, maybe we need to start responding to that as a church, as indiv- maybe you as an individual first, and then start building. Hey, how do I build on this vision? One of the things I like about this list is it shows that not everybody has the same vision, right? Sometimes I get a passion about something, and I think everybody should have that same passion. How is it that you don't have the same passion? Do you realize how important this one is right here? You've got to help with that. Um, and, and sometimes we, we just get so enthralled in that that we don't think there's any room for it. This, this list shows that, you know what, there's lots out there. There are lots of opportunities to be involved in ministry. Just last month, we turned in baby bottles. Why? How? For the Women's Help Center, right? Why did we do that? Because we want to help women that are in need. Pr- crisis pregnancies is what the majority of what they, is what they, what they care for. Counsel women through that birth, through that, through that period of time that may be difficult in their life. Provide resources for them. Why? Because we live in a culture where abortion is rampant, right? And we want to provide opportunities for, for young ladies, for young men to realize, look, that is a beating heart in there. We want to walk. We want to support. We want to come alongside you. So there are different things that you can grab a a hold of. And for Nehemiah, 450 years prior to Christ, that thing that he had grabbed a hold of was this desire to go back and rebuild and repair a wall in Jerusalem. So what is it for you and I? What's what's at work in our lives? What's at work in your life? Let me just, I want to start, I want to read the start. I'm 20 minutes in. And I say start, right? There you go. Anyway, I want to take a look at a couple of quotes for you here. And this first quote is this right here. None of us, including me, ever do great things, but we can all do small things with great love. And together, we can do something wonderful. A quote from Mother Teresa right there. See, sometimes we get this idea that, oh, I want to do something great out here. I want to become big. I want to become important. I want to become a YouTube sensation, right? Or whatever it is that you may want to be. Right? Whatever the desire is there, oh, if I could get this out there and enough people could see it. But right there is the idea. Maybe, maybe just sometimes it's small things. Maybe it's small things done with great love that suddenly start to work something wonderful in the world around you. Maybe sometimes the vision that we need is right within our own family. Maybe sometimes the vision that we need is maybe right within our own church, our own gathering. Maybe sometimes the vision that we need is just something right within our own local community. Maybe it's something to do with you at work. Maybe it's something to do with you with your friends. Maybe it's something to do with you at your school. Maybe it's just showing a little bit of love, doing small things, all right, with love and seeing God take over and do something wonderful through you, all right, changing of people's lives. The other one is this one right down here. If you want to lift yourself up, Lift up someone else, right? In a, in a world and in a culture where fame is something to be desired, um, sometimes it's we want to lift ourselves up. If I build myself up enough, people will see how wonderful I am, right? Don't you guys all look forward to those people? 
Thank you. No, we don't look forward to those people, right? But right there, Booker T. Washington, lift up someone else. We all know we've been around those people that are encouragers, that lift you up. When you go to them, suddenly they somehow, they're able to encourage you and build you up. And guess what? You walk away saying, wow, I'm so happy to have been around them, right? We remember the way people make us feel. We remember the way people sometimes treat us, right? And when people treat us poorly, what do we think of that person? Wow, they're a wonderful person. I'm sure I just caught them on a bad day, right? Isn't that what we all go away and say? No. We're like, ooh, I'm not certain about that person, right? But when somebody makes you feel good, you're like, hey, I like to be a part of that. Nehemiah, in building this wall, is going to build a team. Have any of you ever been on a team that you look around and you say, eh, I don't know about this group of people. We're not going to accomplish a whole lot. Huh? You may have been there, and something may have happened. I'm going to give a couple of examples. Um, there's, if, you're, if you're part of Susquehanna Valley School District here, they've, they've had some success in sports lately, haven't they? Right? They've had a football team that's had a run of pretty good success, I would say. And, uh, and as a result of that, you know how many stars there are on that team? I, I don't know how many stars there are on that team, but I know that it takes the whole group of them coming together and working together as a team. And you know what it takes? It takes this guy down here that wants to be a lineman, and it takes this guy back here that wants to be a quarterback, and it takes this guy out here that wants to be a, a receiver or a running back or whatever the case may be, and it takes them all working together to accomplish something great, right? If you want to win a state title, it doesn't start with, look at me, guys, I'm the star. And everybody else remember that. It starts with a team working together and saying we have a common goal. And the common goal is sometimes win number one of the week. Win game number one, right? Of the season, excuse me. And then win game number two. And then win game number three. And suddenly big things start to happen and the team comes together. And probably a group of young kids that only their parents thought, oh, these guys are all going to make the NFL, right, ten years ago, are suddenly doing something great as a group in high school and pushing forward. I had that experience myself. I'm a big star. You don't know this. I'm a soccer star. I hate soccer. It's not quite true. I don't hate it. I, 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 I did always say if my kids played soccer, it, they don't like me. Um, my oldest son played soccer a lot. My second son played soccer a little. My youngest son got the message and didn't play soccer. <laughs> anyway, when I was in college, um, when I was in college, I, uh, this is minor, minor. Please understand this. But a group of friends of mine, we put together a rec sports team, rec sports back in the day, and uh, we decided we, wanted, we were going to play soccer. We played all sorts of sports. We played pretty much anything that went on, and, uh, but basketball was what we always wanted to do well at, but we're like, you know what, we'll get into this soccer thing. How hard can it be to kick a ball around the field, right? Um, on that team, we had about four, um, it's not very hard. Anyway, I'm just picking. All you soccer lovers, don't throw eggs. A anyway, we had about four soccer players on the team and, and our rec sports team, and we just went out and we started playing. And all of a sudden, we start winning games, and we're doing fairly well. And, and, and we're looking around, and we're like, hey, this is pretty good. We, we get into the playoffs, and we start winning in the playoffs as well. And, and we're looking around, and we're like, hey, this, this is all right. But we're playing, but finally we get to the championship game, and it's against this team. And they're, they're the strongest team year in and year out. That's what I'd like to say. That's embellishing the story a little bit. I don't know. They were good, uh, and that's what we remember. But they were the international team, and it was a group of international students, soccer players, and all this stuff. And, and they're just, they're soccer players. We've got four soccer players, and the rest of us, we just run around and kick the ball, all right? 
Um, and and that's, that, that's what we do. But, but we played this team, and when you take a look at this group that just came together, there's nobody here that's looking around saying, hey, we're, we're going to win this. But we had a handful of friends on their team, the guys that had played soccer. Hey, we're, we're good enough to do this. We can do this. So guess what? We go out and we play the championship game, and we, nope, we tie. Nothing better than a tie. That's one of the things that I love about soccer. You play 40-minute halves or 45-minute halves, right? And then if it's tied at the end, what do you do? You keep playing longer because it took 90 minutes of boredom not to solve the problem. You're going to take a few more minutes to solve the problem. All right? And I'm just scratching my head wondering, if you're a soccer lover right now, you hate me. I went to Messiah College. Messiah College is a great soccer school. Um, if you ever want to take a look at the number of championships they won. So this is like sacrilegious for me to talk that way. We wound up tying. Why? Because of darkness. All right? So thankfully, darkness put us all out of our misery, and both teams were the co-champions for the year. All right? But, but I say all that to say this. I don't even remember what I was saying. I, no. <laughs> I, say all this, I say all that because of this. Sometimes when you bring a team together, all right, when you bring a group of people together, right, you might be looking, ooh, we need this superstar over there. Oh, we need this great person. Oh, we need this high-flying person. Oh, we need this great person here. And we look for all these superstars together. And sometimes what, what God's looking to do in your life and in my life is he's using, looking to use ordinary, everyday people like you and me. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning when we look at the story here of Nehemiah and the building of this wall. The building of this wall that he does, he's just grabbing people that are willing. And our very first point that I want you to see is this, that God is looking for people that are ready to join the fight. Why? Because God uses the willing, not necessarily the qualified. Remember, remember when, um, if, if you know your Old Testament well, you remember that, they, that Samuel was coming to anoint a king. And when he came to the family of Jesse, he looked at the first son and said, oh, surely this is the guy that we're going to have. And nope, that's not it. Kept going right on down, brother after brother after brother after brother after brother after brother, until he got to this person called David. You've probably heard of him before in your life. Even if you are not a church person, you know, you have heard of David. Why? King David. Why? Because he was the person that God had chosen. It wasn't the one that was going to be the first choice. You see, God chooses people that are willing, and David certainly wasn't willing. He was a young, he was probably a teenager at the time, but he, well, I guess I should say he was willing, and he had courage, but God's favor was not on him, and he chose him. And as Nehemiah, as we take a look at this story this morning, Nehemiah had cast a vision to the people in the area. Chapter one, he had gone to the king and said, king, I want to go back. Chapter two, he went out and he took the look at the rubble and the destruction of the city. That's what we looked at last week. And if you missed that, I encourage you to go back online. You can listen to that message. But he looks at the rubble and then he starts to cast the vision for the people saying, this is what God has said in my heart to do. And his hand has been upon me to this point. We want to start to build this wall. In chapter three of Nehemiah, if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to turn there. Chapter three of Nehemiah is what we are going to look at this morning. And, and I want you to know, chapter 3 of Nehemiah is one of those chapters that you look at and you're like, hmm, this is rather interesting. A lot of words here that I can't read. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of names in here that I'm going to be asking you to read. Somebody want to come up and help me read some of these? Like this right here. I'm not good, I'm not good with that, right? And there's, there's going to be a whole bunch of them right through there that are difficult as you look at them. But all of a sudden, it's, a, it's an interesting story. It's an interesting story of people that God uses. Why? Point number one, God uses 
uses the willing. Who is willing? Are you one of the willing? Is that us? Are we willing? Right here's how it starts. Nehemiah says this. Elishab, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the Tower of Hanal. Hananel. As we read through this, I just want you to notice, again, I mentioned this last week, but I'll remind you of it again this week. Detail. Nehemiah puts detail in here. It's detail that you and I look at today, and we don't understand it, but it's detail that people that were reading it at that time, people that read it 50 years later, people that read it 400 years later in a time of Christ, they knew the detail. They knew where the gates were. They knew what this was going on. Nehemiah wrote it. Why? So that there would be detail, so that people would know, all right? And we have it today, and we read it today, and the detail was there for us, for us to understand what took place. He continues on in verse 2, and he says this, The men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zachar, the son of Imri, built next to them. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hassaniah, and uh, they laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. As we continue on with this, all right, we look at this. Memoroth, son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz, repaired the next section. Next to him, Meshulam, son of Barakiah, the son of Meshach. Uh, yeah, there you go. So anybody got that one for me? There you go. Thank you. And uh, made repairs. And next to him, Zadok, the son of Banna, also made repairs. Anybody want to come and finish the reading of those names for me? Do I have any of you? Um, do you realize I actually studied Hebrew once upon a time, and I still, I, I, it's no good, you know? I, I don't even know. But, uh, but as we look at that, what are we looking at? People that were building the wall. The verse, um, verse 5 continues with this. The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa. All right, I want you to notice that. But what were they repaired by? The men, were, they weren't even from Jerusalem. We see that throughout this. But the nobles, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisor. And I want you to remember that because we're going to look at that. We're just going to mention that as well later, that their nobles wouldn't do the work. As we read down through these passages, what do we want you to see? We want you to realize that join the fight. You see, God uses those that are willing. God is looking to use men and women that are willing to do the work that he is having them do. And then I want you to take a look. What is it that they're building? You see, Nehemiah has called them back, and he says, "Wait, well, hey, we're going to be building this thing, all right? But what is it that they're building? It's not just something small. Look at this. this is, these are the walls of Jerusalem in Nehemiah's time. They're about four and a half miles long, all right? And as we go up around, this up, this up here is, where, this is where, the, um, where the temple plaza is. Down here was part of what had been David's garden, that idea there. So they built this wall all around Jerusalem, and you're like, wow, that's really weird. Why wouldn't they just build a nice square? I can't answer that one for you, but this is the process of what they're building. And not only are they building that, our next slide shows some of the things that they're doing right there, right? 11 gates they're going to build. Um, the wall is, ends up being about 22 feet wide and 25 feet high. This isn't just some small undertaking in your backyard where you're building up, where you're throwing up some stone together just to make it look good, but rather this is a job that is taking place, and they are building a wall around Jerusalem to bring security, to bring some security to the people of Jerusalem. They're doing that building. We're going to continue on with who is doing all of the building, right? 
who is doing all the building. A lot of these verses we've already looked at, but let's jump back to verse 1. What does verse 1 tell us? Um, Elisha, the high priest and his fellow priests, all right? They went to work right here. You see, it wasn't they went out and they found the construction people that could do it, but rather they went to work. Verse 2, it was the men of Jericho. What? Men of Jericho came down. Take a look. This next slide will just show you. This is the road from Jericho, 18 miles from Jericho to Jerusalem. Now, I don't know if they'd been staying in Jerusalem, how it was that they decided to come and how they heard what was going on. But somehow the men of Jericho, they are there to help build the wall. That's who continues on. Who else is doing it? Verse uh, 6 tells us this, all right, that there were goldsmiths. Excuse me, verse 8 tells us, all right, that there were goldsmiths. They repaired the section. There were perfume makers. Are you kidding me? Nehemiah, do you have to mention that one? Can't we come up with something a little more manly than that? Perfume makers are building the wall. I find the rest of you don't find that comical? The rest of you are like, no, they're out there sweating. They need perfume so it doesn't smell so bad. I, I don't know. Maybe that's what you're thinking. But perfume makers, all right, they're out there doing the work. Who else is doing the work? Verse 12 tells us this right here, that the ruler of the half district of Jerusalem repaired the next section along with the help of what? His daughters. There's no one that is outside of the realm of who can be helpful, of who can do the work here. Um, verse 31 goes all the way down. As we jump to the end of the passage, it says this, all right, that there were goldsmiths. All right, and then and the next verse continues on with this right here. Not only goldsmiths, but the merchants were making the repairs. Who was it that was doing the building? Anybody that was available. Anybody that was willing. See, sometimes in, your, in, your, in our lives, right, we are only looking for the highly qualified. Oh, we need the best qualifications. We need the highest quality. Oh, Lord, I can't do it because I'm, I'm not good enough to do that ministry. I, I, can't, I can't be a part of that. I, I, I'm, I, I don't know how to do it. I couldn't do it well. God is looking for people that are willing. Sometimes you and I, we get stuck with qualifications. It's got to be the most qualified. They've got to be able to do the best job. They've got to be the high-flying, high-octane individuals. That's what we're looking for. And sometimes, you know what, God says, you know what, I'm looking for people who are willing, who have a heart that is humble, that will come before and will serve along with other people, with other believers. That's who I'm looking for. Nehemiah was using whoever it was. You see, because in this, in this whole building process, as, as the next slide shows, it shows God, God wants your best, not necessarily the best. You know how we know that? Because if God always wanted the best, he would do it himself, right? He was able to create the world in seven days, in six days, excuse me. Um, I think he could probably take care of a lot of things on his own if he wanted to. But he doesn't want that. He wants his people to come together, work together, and build forward. And that's what Nehemiah is doing right here. Who's doing the building? The people that are willing. Why? Because God, God wants our best. Not necessarily always the best. Um, remember, as we look down through there, there were people that, that were doing this work, and it wasn't even for themselves, right? As I mentioned, there were the men of Jericho. There was that group from Tokoya, however you say that one there. There was that group there that came in. There were other people that working that were lived outside the walls. Not everybody that's, uh, that's inside Jerusalem is who is doing the building, but rather there are others that are coming. 
Nehemiah is leading this idea, and he is going to go back to the capital city. He is going to leave and go back. But they are building this, and there were those that were there that were building it. It wasn't even for them. And not only was it not for them, it wasn't for everyone. Everyone that was doing the job there, they weren't all going to suddenly move into Jerusalem. But rather, they saw something that needed done, and they said, let me come, let me work, let me serve, let me do the best that I can. Why? Because I am willing to do that. How about you and I? Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to say, God, I will go and do what it is that you want me to do, as long as it's not Africa or Alaska, right? Is that, is that, what, we're willing to, or is that what we're willing to say sometimes? Sometimes in our lives we are. Sometimes we are able to look around and say, yeah, God, I, I think it's for somebody else. And if the Holy Spirit's working in your heart, if the Holy Spirit is working in your life, say, hey, I, I want you to start pushing on this direction here in ministry to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim the truth, to proclaim, to proclaim the God of this world and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want you to know that. I want you to do that. Part of the church, right, as, as, being, part, as being part of the church, as being having the privilege of speaking here over these uh, last few months, um, one of the things that I always love is, is I love to say that I love the church of Jesus Christ. And I love the church of Jesus Christ for a very simple reason. The church of Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. It's not a hope of the world. It's not one of many hopes of the world, but rather it is the hope of the world. You see, if, if, our, if our problem was only, was only some of the things that politics can't seem to take care of, maybe we could find the right politician to take care of it. But we can't. Because the difficulty in man is that we have a, we have a sin problem. And along with that sin problem comes a final judgment from our God. And you see, he sent his son to die on the cross. And he died on the cross for what? He died on the cross for his bride. Who was his bride? The church of Jesus Christ. So even in the midst of brokenness, in the midst of difficulties, in the midst of struggles throughout this world, right? The, his, the history, we, you, if, you, if you grow up in education, you hear the history of the church, all oh, the wars, all the trouble, all the, yes, look around the world and see all the things that good, the good that the church has done. Do you realize prior to the first, back in the first century and prior to that, child that was born, mom and dad didn't like, you know what they did? They could take him out to the edge of the, wo- uh, edge of the trees and set that child there. And it wasn't killing the child, it was exposure. It was life just happening and that baby would die. Do you know who changed that policy? Early Christians. They would go out and they would pick them up. All right, in the first, second, third century, they would pick them up and they would take them back and raise them and adopt them. It's the church. We look at that and say, whoa, nobody could ever do that. Yes, they did that for thousands of years prior to Christianity. Go into any community in our country, and I can't say around the world, but almost any community around the country, and guess what you're going to find? You're going to find a Lord's Hospital. You're going to find a Children's Methodist Hospital, right? You're going to find a Baptist Hospital. You're going to find a St. Jude's Hospital. Somewhere in the neighborhood, all right, you are going to find a church that was started by what? A Christian, excuse me, you were going to find a hospital that was started by what? It was started by a church or by a group of Christians, by somebody there, there that started it. Why? Because they wanted to reach people. The hope of the world is in Jesus Christ. The hope of the world is through the church. It is the church that Jesus died for. 
one of the things that amazes me, all right? Because Nehemiah, you might be like me, you might say, okay, Nehemiah build a wall. What's so impressive about that? Who really cares? We're 2,500 years post that, and does it really matter that the wall was built around Jerusalem? And certainly it doesn't matter today. Um, they have plenty of problems anyway. And one of the things that amazes me is that God uses people. And the story of Nehemiah is one of God using people. Nehemiah casting the vision and people getting on board with that. And when it comes to the church, the same sort of thing is true. Because if you, if you have your Bibles, if you want to, you can jump over to Acts chapter 1. But I'm going to just look at a couple of verses here in Acts chapter 1 because it's amazing what takes place here. In Acts chapter 1, it says this, all right, the passage says this. So when they met together, and now as we take a look at this passage, I want you to know that so when they met together, this is about 40 days after Christ has, was, was, has risen from the dead, all right? So we are only talking a month and a half post the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's when they, this they is the apostles of Jesus Christ, along with some of those early followers of Jesus Christ. This number is going to be around, right? It's going to be over 50, um, but, it's, but it's, not, it's nothing huge, all right? It's either 70 or 120. I need to read the, the it's right there in the passage, actually, of Acts chapter 1. Um, but there are a group of people that are there. And one of the questions that they come, when they come together, they ask the Lord this, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They are looking for a political savior still, and they are looking around and they're saying, Lord, is now the time? Rome is in control. Rome is leading the world. Rome is the power in the world. Lord, are you going to set up Israel? Are we going to become our own nation again? Are you going to set up a kingdom here? Is that what you're here to do now? All right, 40 days after your resurrection, we believe he continued on and he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. He lets them know it's not for you to know these times or dates. And he continues, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He lets them know that there's something else that's going to take place. I want you to know that this is what is going to occur. That I want you to know that you are going to be my witnesses. And it's not going to just stay here in Jerusalem, but rather it's going to go out to Judea. It's going to go to Samaria. It's going to go to other parts all around the world. And they're like, great, Jesus, you lead the way. We're right behind you. We're ready to go. We believe. And what does the next verse say? After he said this, he was taken up before their eyes, and the cloud hid him from their sight. Hang on a minute, Jesus. You were just talking about that Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria thing, and all, uh, all around the world. Um, how, wh what are we doing? Jesus, when he comes to the end of his earthly ministry, he hands the keys of the kingdom over to a group of men and women. And the men that he had given it to, those apostles, guess what? Just a month and a half earlier, they had all bailed. They had all run. They had all been scared. They all hid. Who did he hand those keys over to? He handed the keys over to some fishermen. What? Fishermen. As a matter of fact, chapter 2, they're going to say, these guys aren't educated. Who, what, what's this group? They're not the educated. Who, who are these guys that are speaking? Fishermen. He handed them over to Simon the Zealot. You know why he's a zealot? Because he was interested in politics. He was all about Israel being restored. Simon the Zealot, this is who, yeah, this is who we want you, Simon. Oh, Matthew, Matthew, one of the disciples. 
Matthew was somebody that collected taxes for Rome. He and Simon wouldn't have gotten along. They shouldn't have been in the same room together. What are they doing together? They'd be fighting. They'd be, it's like a Republican and a Democrat together just coming at each other all the time. We got to stay away from that, right? And yet somehow together they come. In that group, you had Thomas. Remember Thomas? <laughs> I'm not believing. <laughs> I, I don't believe it. Until I see him. Oh, oh, Thomas, how about you? You're going to be on board here too. You realize he had in that group, um, there were some ladies of the evening, as we would call them, that were in that group, right? That are there. And guess what? He takes and he hands the keys of the kingdom over and says, here you go. Guess what? You're going to go proclaim. You're going to go proclaim the risen Savior to the entire world, and it's going to change the entire world. And here we are 2,000 years later as part of that change, as part of that end of the earth. God is looking to use you, right? You may think, you know what, I'm, I'm not qualified. I, I don't have the qualifications. I haven't been to seminary. I, I can't speak. I can't do that. We can look at all the things we can't do. But God is looking for you. He's looking for people that are willing people that will humbly follow, people that will humbly go where it is that he calls them to do and, and do what it is that he calls them to do, just like people who are able to build a wall, just like people who have been sharing the hope of Jesus Christ even to this day. You see, we're in for the good work. Why? Because changing the world is what Jesus died for. Pray with me if you would, please. God, as we close our time together this morning, Lord, I say thank you for each of the individuals that are here. And Lord, I, I say thank you that you are a gracious God. Lord, if you were looking for perfection, you don't need us. But rather, Lord, instead, you look to use those who are willing to be used by you. God, we don't know what it is that you have in store for each one here. But yet, Lord, may we be faithful to what it is you have called us to do. May we follow through with those words of Mother Teresa, maybe just doing some small things with love, doing them well, doing them with love. Something wonderful comes out of that. And God, sometimes the wonderful are families that worship you. Sometimes the wonderful are friends that have their lives changed to follow you. Sometimes the wonderful is a change in my heart to be more like you. God, I pray that you would be at work in our lives. I say thank you for each one that you have brought together this morning. I pray that you might bless, that you might encourage. And Lord, may we know that we worship and serve a God who is able to do immeasurably more than we imagine or even think through the power and through the glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you. Would you stand and we're going to sing the song about how God has chosen us to do this good work.